It's the Media Buzz Meter with Howard Kurtz. Hey, I got about 96 things to get to today. You know, it's funny, when I started this podcast, I came up with this formula of, you know, the five hottest, most interesting, buzziest stories. I thought, well, you know, some days it might be hard to come up with five great talkers. Uh, Some days you have more, some days you have less. In this news environment, the crazy months that we've all been through, in the middle of a presidential campaign, by the way, coronavirus, uh, economy, another million and a half jobless claims today, uh, as well as, uh, you know, the calls for racial justice and the nationwide demonstrations. It, it, there's a lot of things I don't even get to, uh, but I whittle it down in order to make it manageable. But here's something I've got to start with because this is, you know, my pet peeve. It's probably my number one pet peeve about social media. So I didn't see this particular uh, notice from the Twitter company, but somebody I follow did. And it says the following. Sharing an article can spark conversation. Okay, so you may want to read it before you tweet it. To help promote informed discussion, we're testing a new prompt on Android. When you retweet an article that you haven't opened on Twitter, we may ask if you'd like to open it first. Well, how about that? So first of all, why is this only on Android? I guess it's a you know pilot project, whatever. Uh, secondly, you know you can't force people to read stuff. But it's kind of, you know, the non-diplomatic translation of this is, hey, dummy, before you spread this around and add your uninformed opinion, would you mind taking a minute or two to actually read the thing uh, that you are now blasting out uh, to your followers? Uh, It would really help our image as a company if you would just not spew without the facts. Now, because, I mean, everybody who's, you know, on Twitter, particularly those of us in the public eye, you know, you get, I'll write a long column in which I'm trying to, you know, describe all the nuances and give the other side and then give the analysis and um, the qualifications as you do when you write something. Or I'll post a, a video segment. It could be a nine-minute segment from Media Buzz in which people say different things. I ask different questions. I offer my observations. But I've got to put a headline on it or a brief summary. I guess you can do, what is it, 280 characters now. And it's better than the days of 140. But still, you're boiling it down to a couple of sentences. And then people will just completely retweet it, pop off, attack you from the left, the right, the middle. Um, They don't like the way you comb your hair. And it's obvious they haven't bothered to read it because they'll completely mischaracterize what you say. Or they'll say, well, how about this? And it's in the third paragraph of the piece and they haven't bothered to read it. And then when I really get excited... Not, not that I'm getting my blood pressure up here, you understand, um, is when people respond to other people who have attacked the piece they haven't read, and they haven't read it, they've got somebody else's BS characterization of it, and then you get like, Howie, how could you possibly say X? And then I got to go once in a while, I go and say, okay, I didn't say X. What I actually said was, uh, the other day it was, um, was I really saying that the protests were solely responsible for a resurgence or a possible resurgence of COVID-19 as opposed to the reopening of the states. No, I wasn't saying that. I was saying I was worried as one factor uh, when you see these demonstrations in cities across America. And this is not a commentary on whether people should be marching or not marching. But you got, you got thousands of people, you know, marching shoulder to shoulder and many of them not wearing masks. The experts are concerned about that. I don't think that's as big in terms of potential volume as the gradual reopening of many states and cities. But I did think it was worthy of making the observation. Anyway, Twitter would like you to read it first. 
I, I want to follow this. Uh, I don't have an Android phone, but I, I suppose there'll be some follow. But, well, this is such a good idea. We're going to do this with everybody. It's kind of like a digital slap on the wrist. Would you please read the damn thing? All right. Also floating around the John Bolton book. Remember that? Supposed to come out some months ago. Supposed to come out possibly uh, during the period of time that the president was in the process of being impeached. Uh, but uh, the White House objected on national security grounds. So now uh, Bolton and his publisher, Simon & Schuster, have announced that they're going ahead with this book. It's coming out in two weeks. June 23rd is the pub date. Um, Simon & Schuster has already shipped copies to warehouses around the country. But uh, a White House lawyer just sent a letter the other day. The name of it, by the way, is The Room Where It Happened, the White House memoir. I'm sure it's already got a whole bunch of uh, pre-orders on Amazon is saying, hey, you can't publish this uh, because um, we think there is material in here that jeopardizes, here's the lawyer's letter, the unauthorized disclosure of classified information could be exploited by a foreign power, thereby causing significant harm to the national security of the United States. And like all White House officials, Bolton signed a non-disclosure agreement. But look, what Bolton and company have concluded is that basically the White House wants to delay the publication of this book, forever, or at least past November 3rd. Because usually, I mean, these things come up before. I mean, CIA people have written books, and you have a, you take a few weeks, and there's a review, and they make some changes, and then it comes out. This has been going on for months. So basically what John Bolton, former National Security Advisor, is doing is saying, and backed by his publisher, we are publishing this book. We have made the changes we're going to make. If you don't like it, you can go ahead and prosecute me. Now, will that happen? Could that happen? I suppose it could. Uh, but clearly, um, this is uh, showtime, shall we say, for what Bolton has to say. And we don't know that everything he has to say about Trump will be critical. But remember that Bolton played a key role in Ukraine. And was there a shakedown? Could you please do me a favor first and let me know about Biden and his son? So all of that will come roaring back into the news. Meanwhile, I wasn't even going to get into this because it's, it's so transparent garbage. Uh, But, you know, there's been a whole spate of polls showing President Trump taking a real hit in the last two weeks. And as I mentioned, they range, uh, give Joe Biden a lead ranging from seven points. I think Fox had eight. Uh, Monmouth, I believe, had 11 points. Don't hold me to that. And then there's the CNN poll showing Joe Biden having a 14-point lead. And I think it's an outlier. Uh, Nevertheless, President is so upset about this that he has had, um, the White House has sent a a cease and desist letter saying you have to stop talking about this because it's obviously this poll is crap. So here the CNN's general counsel, David Vigilante, uh, writes back to my knowledge, this is the first time in its 40-year history that CNN has been threatened with legal action because an American politician or campaign did not like CNN's polling results. To the extent we have received legal threats from political leaders in the past, they typically come from countries like Venezuela or other regimes where there is little or no respect for a free and independent media. Uh, nevertheless, Trump's campaign says this is designed to mislead American voters through a biased questionnaire and skewed sample. Um, this is just patty cake. It's just, you know, it's a sideshow. But I do find it amusing that CNN uh, felt the need to hit back with such strong re- rhetoric. All right. Story number one. It's really about now the cancel culture. Because I mentioned yesterday Gone with the Wind being held back by HBO Max. And they're going to have a you know panel discuss how what a horrible historical fiction it is, and then play the movie. And also Cops is being ended by the Paramount Network because of the depiction of cops. Well, now the Black Lives Matter movement is targeting, wait for this, Paw Patrol, 
If you have kids, you've probably seen or seen pictures of Paw Patrol. It's a cartoon with a bunch of dogs who are wearing, you know, police hats and badges, and they go out and try to uh, act like policemen. It's on Nick Jr. Now Paw Patrol is under attack because the New York Times says it shows a a positive view of the police. show actually attempted to support Black Lives Matter on Blackout Tuesday in common with the Nickelodeon network as a whole. So as the protests mounted, uh, even big-hearted cartoon police dogs, uh, or maybe especially big-hearted cartoon police dogs, are on notice. The effort to publicize police brutality means banishing the good cop archetype, which reigns on both television and viral videos. Uh, Paw Patrol seems harmless, but that's the point. So Paw Patrol is just my lead example here, and this is really just spreading everywhere. And, and look, I'm all for institutions, particularly you know white-controlled institutions, re-examining their own biases and prejudices in the way they cover the world, even if it's, I suppose, acts of fiction. But, you know, there are, there are instances here where this is ludicrous. Gone with the Wind. It's a 1939 movie. Ludicrous. Paw Patrol. It's a goddamn cartoon. Ludicrous. Okay. Now, related to that, we have Vogue's Anna Wintour, you know, one of the great divas of uh, magazine publishing, sending out an internal email, uh, I believe this was picked up by the New York Post, apologizing for mistakes made in her 32-year tenure. She's, of course, one of the queens of fashion. She wrote in this email, I will take full responsibility for those mistakes. Uh, She is um, not just the editor-in-chief of Vogue, but she's Condé Nast's artistic director and global content advisor. She had no further comment. Um, this comes at a time when the editor-in-chief of another Condé Nast mag, Bon Appetit, excuse me, Bon Appetit, uh, resigned after a photo surfaced of him in brown face, amplifying outrage over how the food magazine treats employees of color. Meanwhile, a person named Samira Nasser uh, was named yesterday as the first editor-in-chief of color in the 153-year history of Harper's Bazaar. Well, that's good, I guess, right? I mean, how do you go 150 years and only have white people? Uh, Okay, here's from Anna Wintour. I want to start by acknowledging your feelings and expressing my empathy toward what so many of you are going through. Sadness, hurt, and anger, too. I want to say this especially to the black members of our team. I can only imagine what these days have been like. But I also know the hurt and violence and injustice we're seeing and talking about have been around a long time. Recognizing it and doing something about it is overdue. She said this is a time for listening, reflection, and humility for those of us in positions of privilege and authority. It also should be a time of action and commitments. She didn't spell out what she was going to do, but she did say on a corporate level, work is being done to support organizations in a real way. Those actions will be announced as soon as possible. Um, Just related to this, um, Tim Scott, the only black Republican senator, uh, as I mentioned in yesterday's podcast, Mitch McConnell has tapped him, naturally, to lead the effort uh, to come up with some sort of Republican legislation on police reform to match what the Democrats are doing. Obviously, it'll be somewhat different. And Tim Scott apparently has been getting a lot of blowback. So here's uh, his tweet. Not surprising, the last 24 hours I've seen a lot of, quote, token, quote, boy, really? Quote, you're being used in my mentions. Let me get this straight. You don't want the person who has faced racial profiling by police been pulled over dozens of times or been speaking out for years drafting this. And that's a pretty good comeback. You know, it's unfortunate that there's one black Republican senator, but since there is one, and since McConnell tapped him, 
um, it does seem to make sense to have him leading the effort, have him have a major seat at the table. And if you want to attack him personally, I don't see what that accomplishes. Don't go anywhere. More BuzzMeter coming your way in just a moment. All right, story number two is kind of a follow-on to what I talked about in this last segment about the cancel culture. A lot of this has to do with the symbols of the Confederacy. And I, for a long time, I mentioned yesterday, like, you know, I, where I live, where I work, you get in the car, you go in a tunnel for five minutes, you're in the former Confederacy in Virginia. And Richmond, of course, was the capital of the Confederacy. And so President Trump, responding to even some of his own service chiefs were saying, we're, we're going to ban, I think it was the Navy or possibly the Marine Corps or possibly both, saying we're going to ban con- con- Confederate symbols. President Trump said he would not even consider the growing calls to rename U.S. military bases that honor Confederate generals. Our history is the greatest nation in the world will not be tampered with, Trump tweeted. You know, I, you, I grew up hearing about Fort Bragg and Fort... Um, Benning, I didn't know that there were actually Confederate generals named Bragg and Benning. It just became like part of the culture. Civil rights activists and some former leaders, including uh, retired U.S. Army General David Petraeus, have stepped up pressure to rename installations such as Bragg and Benning, saying they wrongfully glorify leaders who committed treason to defend slavery in the United States. And there's just no getting around that. Uh, I mean, I understand Southern heritage and all that. But you look at it in light of 2020 values, why should we honor people who rebelled against the United States, who were traitors to the United States of America, who wanted to have their own country and wanted to have to continue an economy built on and based on slavery, on enslaving black human beings? Why do we want to honor them? It's really something. Um, Further on this, here's another example. NASCAR, you know, one of the most popular sports in the United States of America, has now decreed that there will be no more Confederate flags or symbols at NASCAR events. Here's the statement. Um, presence of the Confederate flag at NASCAR events runs contrary to our commitment to providing a welcoming and inclusive environment for all fans, our competitors, and our industry. Um, this, res- this got a response from one truck driver who's a NASCAR racer. His name is Ray Ciccarelli. He said on Facebook, it's been a fun ride and dream come true, but if this is the direction NASCAR is headed, we will not participate after the 2020 season is over. He also said, I don't believe in kneeling during anthem or nor taking people right to fly whatever flag they love. There's a lot of abbreviations here. I could care less about the Confederate flag, but there are people that do. And it doesn't make them a racist. And all you are doing is, is expletive one group, screwing one group to cater to another. He said he won't spend money to participate in any political BS. So I read there's, that there's one full-time black driver in NASCAR. But obviously there are fans of NASCAR that, that they're not just white people. And NASCAR taking this, you know, you might not expect it. You, because culturally NASCAR is seen as, you know, sort of on the conservative side of the spectrum. So it's not just NASCAR. You also have other sports. For example, LeBron James uh, is now speaking out. And this is something that, you know, even an icon like Michael Jordan never did. LeBron James and a group of other prominent black athletes and entertainers, not just in the NBA, are starting a new group aimed at protecting African-American voting rights, seizing on the widespread furor. Here's what LeBron says. Uh, Because of everything that's going on, people are finally starting to listen to us. 
We feel like we're finally getting a foot in the door. How long is up to us? We don't know. But we feel like we're getting some ears and some attention, and this is the time for us to finally make a difference. Now, look, there are people going to say, LeBron, stick to basketball. Don't get into politics. Uh, But, you know, I, I think he has a right to do that. He has a lot of fans. He has a huge following. He has a huge social media following. Meanwhile, uh, coming back to the business about these Confederate symbols and everything, you got a lot of statues coming down. In Richmond, for example, demonstrators, not waiting for the governor of the state, removed a statue of Jefferson Davis. He was the president of the Confederacy. In Portsmouth, Virginia, protesters defaced a Confederate monument at the center of town. They set upon it with spray paint, ropes, and bolt cutters. As, this is interesting. As police and local officials watch from the sidelines. I don't know. I, I'm not going to defend these Confederate monuments. Uh, I'm, not, I will, I'm also not crazy about the fact that, you know, a mob gets spray paint and ropes and goes after them. I mean, it seems to me there are other ways to do it. But look, people are fed up. And it seems increasingly hard to defend, to defend the notion that people who defected from the United States and defended slavery should be honored with statues. I guess uh, Nancy Pelosi is proposing that statutes of Confederate, Confederate figures uh, that are now in the United States Capitol should be taken down. That'll be quite a fight, and I don't know how that will go. All right, story number two, because I'm going long here. Uh, coronavirus, suddenly the media are waking up after a resurgence of the virus in a whole bunch of states, 10 or 11 states. I read the names yesterday. Former FDA Commissioner Scott Gottlieb warned uh, today that a resurgence of the virus in several states is a sign that authorities haven't been able to isolate what the source of the infection is. He said this on CNBC Squawk Box. I think we should be concerned when you look at states like Arizona and Texas, South Carolina, North Carolina, he says. Those are where big outbreaks are right now. Florida, to some degree, seems to be going up. It's not a second wave. They never really got rid of the first wave, he says. Arizona uh, up there, if I didn't already mention that. Uh, Meanwhile, you have the president announcing he's going to resume rallies next week, including one in Oklahoma. A lot of people are upset because it's on June 19th or Juneteenth, commemorating a day when there was a Tulsa race massacre in Tulsa, Oklahoma. People saying it's not a coincidence. Dozens of African-Americans were killed uh, during that awful time in 1921. It's almost the 100th anniversary. I don't know if that's a coincidence or not. I do worry. Look, if Trump wants to hold a rally, he's the president. If people want to show up, and be packed into tight quarters, that is their choice. But I do worry that this will be now to a further spreading of the COVID-19 and that it will spread to people who aren't at the rally as some of those people go about their daily lives. Um, 136,000 new infections reported around the world. Highest single-day increase since the start of the pandemic. More than 7 million confirmed cases so far. Latin America is emerging as a hotspot, especially Brazil. Um, and the mass protests are, con- are contributing, according to a piece in The Atlantic. Collectively, we slowly seem to be given up. I mentioned that yesterday. All right, story number three. ABC News is reporting that many top White House advisors or advisors to the president say their proposals, policing on, on issues like race and police reform, or any subject, really, are often overshadowed by controversial statements coming from the president's Twitter account. Days in the West Wing are so often dictated by what he tweets that the goal of whatever the day was supposed to be in terms of messaging is then set aside. That happened with the president's tweet about the 75-year-old protester in Buffalo who was slammed to the ground by two police officers who have been charged with assault. You know about that. We've talked about it. Multiple aides, this is interesting, uh, 
have now even opted to turn off notifications for at real Donald Trump. What's the point, one advisor told ABC News. It's sort of like, well, what are we going to do about it? Uh, however, two other outside advisors to the, pre- uh, to the president said it wasn't the president's rhetoric that was problematic, but rather that they took aim at Brad Parscale, the Trump 2020 campaign manager's running of the campaign, noting that daily campaign decisions must first be run by Jared Kushner. In other words, Brad Parscale is running the reelect. He has his, you know, today we're going to talk about this, tomorrow we're going to talk about defund the police, whatever it is. And then Trump tweets something, and then that gets so much media traction, and everybody has to talk about it. Well, the Twitter, I've criticized a lot of these tweets, but Twitter did help Donald Trump get elected. And that is how, um, you know, it's just a fact of life. It's not going to change. It's certainly not going to change in the next six months. Uh, I think I've miscounted here. I combined two things. So let's just move on to story number four. Uh, The Biden running mate situation. I think you don't, you have to not, um, anybody with a political pulse, anybody who has the most fundamental understanding of the art of politics knows that in the last two and a half weeks, the odds of Joe Biden picking an African-American female running mate have skyrocketed. And, you know, I don't even need to explain why. I mean, there was a time when it was a debate. Should it be a white moderate like Amy Klobuchar? Should it be a African-American who ran for president, such as Kamala Harris? Uh, now, according to the Washington Post, uh, Kamala Harris is being championed by Democratic office holders and leaders who see her as appealing to suburban and centrist voters. Democrats, obviously. But many of the activists who have helped energize the street protests are warning that party figures are missing the mood of the moment. This is fascinating to me. As a traditional politician and former prosecutor, and she was the Attorney General of California, remember, they say Harris would fail to capture the passions that are powering the protests, and her selection could dampen the excitement that is crucial for Democrats in November. Here's a quote from a Denver school board member named Tay Anderson. I think he needs to figure out somebody that's not just there because they're a black woman and they, because they check a box. Nominating Kamala Harris in the wake of what's going on is not the best solution. Nominating somebody who's put black people in jail doesn't make sense at this moment. Okay, so now it's not, it's not just, well, Joe Biden should name an African-American running mate because, um, you know, never leaving aside that we had the last president was obviously black and Joe Biden was his VP. Um, there's so much energy now that he needs to energize the Democratic Party by picking someone who's African-American. But now... And look, everybody's entitled to speak up for who they think would be the best nominee as his running mate. Now it's like, well, Kamala Harris may have run for president and she may be African-American, but she was a prosecutor, so she put black people in jail. Well, if you're a prosecutor, you help put white people in jail, Hispanic people in jail, black people in jail, vegetarians in jail. That comes with the job. Is this person saying that no black people should go to jail? That if they go and shoot someone, they shouldn't go to jail? That if they rob a bank, they shouldn't go to jail? I mean, it just becomes so woke as to be absurd. Now, are there other criticisms to made of Kamala Harris? Well, here's Joe Biden. I mean, he was at a virtual fundraiser with her the other day. He seems to be signaling that he really likes her, despite, yes, the, 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 the dust-up they had at one of those first debates where she basically said he supported racist, he was racist in opposing busing in Delaware in the 1970s. But Biden said at this virtual fundraiser, she's been a fighter and a principled leader. I know because I've seen her up close. And he mentioned, and this is the key thing, because politics is personal. He mentioned 
Harris's friendship with his late son, Bo Biden, who died of brain cancer in 2015. Bo was an attorney general at a time when Harris was an attorney general. Uh, here's the quote from Biden. You said, I love you and I love Bo. I won't forget that. Now, there is room to debate, as is mentioned in this Washington Post story. Uh, well, she was a presidential candidate, so she's been vetted. On the other hand, she had trouble getting black votes in the Democratic primary. I mean, Joe Biden got far more black votes in the Democratic primaries than did Kamala Harris. So maybe there's something about her that doesn't excite African-American voters. That's a fair point. Also, she ran a lousy campaign. And she had to fold her. I mean, she had a huge opening with 20,000 people showing up in Oakland. And then she made a lot of mistakes. She waffled on key issues, including that whole business about busing. Um, And her campaign collapsed. She never even got a vote. So that's fair to question. And then uh, her record as prosecutor, some critics are saying it was overly harsh. It's uh, facing renewed scrutiny. Senator Harris says she was a progressive prosecutor fighting racial injustice from within the system. So that's the debate. Anybody Biden names is going to be totally vetted. But if he names somebody like Atlanta Mayor Mayor, uh, Keisha Lance Bottoms or Congresswoman Val Demings, you know, about whom all of us, even those of us who follow politics, don't know all that much about, and certainly the public, unless you live in Atlanta or unless you're in Val Demings' congressional district, doesn't know much about. Everyone, all the reporters, all the oppo researchers, certainly the Trump campaign, the Trump team, the PACs are going to be digging up all kinds of stuff. That's the way it works. So if you ran for president, at least you can sort of assume the worst stuff is out. And that would be in Kamala Harris's favor. I'm not saying it needs to be her. I'm not even saying it needs to be an African-American. But certainly the politics of the moment are increasingly suggested, suggesting that that is the way that Joe Biden is going to go. And maybe he has some leeway here because he is up in the polls. Although, as we just pointed out, the president doesn't like that CNN poll. Uh, doesn't like a lot of the polls recently, although there was a Gallup poll uh, that also showed a sharp drop in his approval. And it's all because of the protest and the view, fairly or unfairly, that he is not seen as handling the protest well or projecting sufficient empathy for the family of George Floyd. And that seems like a good note to wrap on. Uh, I like to remind people there's many ways to get this podcast, including on your Amazon device. You just ask for it. You use the A word. I don't want to use it here because I don't want to trigger these devices in kitchens and uh, living rooms across America. But you can also get it now at Spotify, Pandora, uh, Google Podcasts, Apple iTunes, and FoxNewsPodcast.com. Find a way. We enjoy talking to you. We hope you have a great day. We'll see you tomorrow with more BuzzMeter. Starting June 10th, the Fox True Crime Podcast presents The Crimes of O.J. Simpson, 30 Years Later. There are so many tentacles to this story. It's truly hard to put it all into a nutshell. Emily Campagno takes you inside the crime scene and inside the courtroom, bringing you an inside look into the murders of Nicole Brown Simpson and Ron Goldman. If this trial occurred today, there would not be an acquittal. Available on Apple, Spotify, and foxnewspodcast.com.